1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
2: Out of what happened right here um, came the Department of Homeland Security.
3: And Jay Johnson is now in charge of the Department of Homeland Security, protecting the country from another terrorist attack, especially now with the rise of homegrown terrorism. Now, as I understand it, of the 180 Americans who have gone overseas to fight in Iraq and Syria, 40 have come back.
2: We have, in fact, kept close tabs on those who we believe have left and those who have come back. But you can't know everything.
4: Easter time marks a 17-year truce between Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland. Jerry Adams was a central figure in that civil war known as the Troubles. Now, he's a leading contender for Irish prime minister, and he's under investigation in connection with the murder of a mother of ten at the height of the war. So you were at the top of republicanism,
5: and your hands are clean? Well, it depends. This evocative term, your hands are clean. No blood on your hands is what we mean. Well, we all have a responsibility,
6: all of us. Over 200 times a second, half a billion times a month, somebody clicks on Wikipedia. It's the greatest argument settler wrought by man, or at least the fastest, perfectly suited to our era of instant gratification. You created one of the most successful websites in the world, and yet you chose to make it the least profitable. (laughs)
7: <laughs> it just felt right that we should be a charity free knowledge for everyone so that's always been our philosophy i'm steve croft
4: i'm leslie stall i'm morley safer i'm bill Whitaker. i'm scott pelly those stories tonight on 60 minutes
8: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: The man running the Department of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, has a lot on his shoulders protecting the country from another terrorist attack, especially now with the rise of homegrown terrorism Just this past week, two women, both Americans, and both allegedly inspired by jihadist propaganda, were arrested and charged with planning to detonate a bomb in the United States. The Department of Homeland Security is a collection of federal agencies, including TSA's airport security, border control, and cargo inspection that have long been charged with stopping terrorists from abroad slipping into the country. Now, Jay Johnson is scrambling to adapt to the new threat of lone wolves that he admits is more difficult to detect and stop. Before coming to Homeland Security, Johnson served as the general counsel of the Defense Department, where he was a legal architect of the Obama administration's use of lethal drone strikes. There at the Pentagon, he was on offense, taking the fight to the enemy. Now, at Homeland Security, he's on defense, trying to prevent another terrorist attack from happening here, on the streets of America. The FBI says it has uh, homegrown extremist investigations going on in every single state. How serious, how serious is this threat? Is it hair on fire,
2: every state? I certainly don't believe in the hair on fire phenomenon. Mm -hmm. But every Um,
3: state? I mean, that means it's The fact, the fact that we everywhere. have
2: investigations in every state does not surprise me. We are very concerned about young people uh, romanticizing uh, a group like ISIL. And so we've got to keep tabs on it all.
3: This kid is sitting in his basement or her basement and reading the uh, web mm-hmm. and being radicalized. How on earth can you keep a tab on that person?
2: that's the challenge, isn't it? And that's one of the things that, frankly, keeps me up at night, because we would have little or no notice if somebody decides to commit an, an act of violence. So if the family member, the religious leader, the teacher trusts us enough to inform us, we're in a position to make a difference.
3: The Department of Homeland Security wants you, the public, to call in. It's part of a new push to deal with the lone wolf threat, with Johnson himself reaching out to build trust with local leaders. Jay Johnson, how are you? And he's shifting the department's resources to cops on the beat as the war on terrorism has evolved.
2: And how are you? Good.
3: That's why DHS has funded 78 fusion centers around the country, like this one in Phoenix, set up for the Super Bowl, to get all levels of law enforcement down to the county sheriff to work together.
4: So we're connected through that command and control system, federal, tribal, state, county, local, even political subdivisions. So we have the ability to reach out in real time, coordinate information, public information or intelligence.
3: Any information about suspicious activity, whether FBI intelligence in Washington or something somebody sees on the streets of Phoenix, is all shared right in this room.
2: That's downtown. That's
7: downtown Phoenix.
3: Johnson's department has never been more central to the war on terror, but it has come under almost constant criticism for over the years weak management and low morale. And recently, a Senate Oversight Committee went after the quality of its intelligence. This report is current. It was a 2015 study of the Mm -hmm. department. It says that uh, intelligence is stale.
2: Well, I'd have to disagree with that. Every morning when I read intelligence, it's real time, it's valuable.
3: It said that the department's primary counterterrorism programs are yielding, quote, little value for the nation's counterterrorism efforts.
2: It also said that we're moving in the right direction.
3: To be fair, Johnson has been on the job for only 14 months. He was brought in to fix all the problems that have long hobbled the department. When you took the job, people said it was the worst job in Washington.
2: You walked right into it. As they say, in the place I used to work, The Pentagon, it's an opportunity to excel.
3: And so far, he's gotten high marks, even from the Republicans in Congress. When he came on board, nearly half the senior management jobs were vacant. He's filled all but one. He's boosted morale and improved the coordination and dissemination of threat information throughout the government, which is done here at the National Operations Center where planes flying over the country and ships sailing off the coasts are monitored 24-7. Can you quantify how much success you have had?
2: Almost daily, certainly weekly, somebody's not allowed to get on an airplane or somebody is arrested and charged with material support to terrorism.
3: Johnson starts his day before the sun comes up, when a Secret Service detail drops him off at his office at 6.15. His first task, reviewing the top-secret daily brief on the latest threats against the United States, including information on people who've answered the call to fight for ISIS. Now, as I understand it, of the 180 Americans who have gone overseas to fight in Iraq and Syria, 40 have come back. I assume that you're keeping close tabs on those 40.
2: We have, in fact, kept close tabs on those who we believe have left and those who have come back. A number have been arrested or investigated, and we have systems in place to track these individuals. But you can't know everything.
3: More than 3,000 Europeans have gone to Iraq and Syria to fight with ISIS. One reason so few young people from well, the United States have gone, he says, can, is we geography.
2: We are separated from the hot spots by an ocean, which does make it more difficult.
3: So do you think, if it were easier for these kids to get there, that there would be
2: more of them going? Uh, Probably. And, And so border security is not simply preventing people from getting in, but very often preventing somebody from leaving for the wrong
3: reasons. The
2: homegrown
3: movement, with its Internet recruiting videos was largely inspired by this man, an American-turned-terrorist in Yemen named Anwar al-Awlaki. He was killed by a drone strike like this one, one of many Johnson greenlighted when he was general counsel at the Pentagon.
2: If it was a strike off what we call the hot battlefield, in other words, outside of Iraq and Afghanistan by the military, then I would have to give the legal sign off first. And so I did that.
3: At one point, you had to decide whether it was okay to kill an American, a walkie.
2: In any use of targeted lethal force, we'd have to conclude that it was consistent with domestic law and international law.
3: Did you say it was not legal many times? Occasionally,
2: Occasionally. I would have to conclude that the legal authority was not there and quickly found out that it was actually easier to say yes than it was to say no. Why was it easier to say yes? Very often when we're asked to approve the use of targeted lethal force, it can only be in a matter of minutes. Right. And so there's a lot of momentum to that. So to say no is like stepping in front of a 90-car a freight train.
3: The first time you said yes, you have said um, that you were very uncomfortable.
2: How could somebody be comfortable with authorizing legally the use of lethal force? My view is, if you become comfortable with it, then you should get out of the job.
3: What you actually said was, if I were Catholic, I would have to go to confession. Yes. Did it get easier? No. It never got easier. No. But there so, has been so often a collateral, what they call collateral damage, meaning that innocents
2: get killed. That happens. In, that in, happens. That happens in war.
3: Does it haunt you?
2: Um, I don't know if I like the word haunt, but we have to be sensitive to the notion that the judgments we make today could be condemned on the pages of history
6: mm-hmm.
2: years from now
3: we went with johnson on a cold morning to look out at the tip of manhattan he was in new york on 9 11 and witnessed the destruction of the world trade center
2: it was a moment for me when i realized that our homeland security could be shattered in an instant unexpectedly and quite dramatically
3: out of this came the department of homeland security
2: out of what happened right here became the Department of Homeland Security.
3: It's a department that brought under one roof an array of 22 federal agencies, including FEMA, the Secret Service, the Coast Guard.
2: Then last but not least, you have the lady right here, Citizenship and Immigration Services. He oversees a huge bureaucracy with
3: 240,000 employees. How's everybody doing? It's a management nightmare because the various agencies have disparate functions, some critics say with little or nothing to do with terrorism. FEMA deals with natural disasters and now with widespread claims of fraud against flood insurance companies following Hurricane Sandy. Immigration dealt with the waves of unaccompanied children from Central America last summer this
9: department is a disparate amalgam of things that don't fit together very well.
3: Clark Irvin, the former inspector general of DHS, says Jay Johnson is essentially managing chaos. The threat is more complicated. And look what we created to deal with it, the most complicated setup you can imagine. We did. And that doesn't make any sense. Well,
9: partly, the reason why the department is a mishmash of different things is because it's a Washington product. And as a Washington product, it's a political product. Making the department work, making it more effective and efficient, economical, is a security issue. And to the extent the department isn't optimally performing, that
3: is a security deficiency. Also in this department is the Secret Service. Yes. And they're having terrible problems, even just uh, guarding the White House.
9: There are more threats against this president, for obvious reasons, than, than any president in history. There's that. Against that backdrop, of course, there is this complicated terrorist threat picture that we've been talking about. There is zero room for error here, and there's been a lot of error.
3: Johnson's challenge is to fix a dysfunctional agency at the same time he's dealing with a terrorist threat that's becoming ever more complex and hard to detect. Now, you've been here 14 months. Yes. And you've answered a lot of my questions
2: with, well, it's a work in progress because it is a work in progress correct are we large yes we are very large do we have some inefficiencies that need to be eliminated absolutely and i believe we're moving in the right direction in that regard
3: but do you think that under your leadership so far that things have moved
2: fast enough things cannot move fast enough for me
3: Johnson realizes he can't fix all that's wrong with the department before he leaves in 2016. But he's confident it is working well enough to do the job. For instance, agencies in his department, TSA and Border Protection, screen and vet nearly 3 million travelers every day.
2: The nature of Homeland Security is that no news is good news. And no news sometimes means. Somebody got interdicted at the border. Somebody got interdicted before they could get on an airplane. Somebody was arrested, providing material support to terrorism. Homeland Security means very often something you never hear about. And that's what we do. You don't get a lot of thank yous for that.
8: To play it, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
4: Easter time marks the end of one of the longest wars of the 20th century. It was known as the Troubles. For 30 years, Catholics and Protestants murdered one another in Northern Ireland until the Good Friday Agreement resurrected the peace. That truce has held for 17 years now, but it's tested every day because forgiveness was never part of the deal. Recently, old wounds split open when a history project by Boston College uncovered accusations of murder against the man who could be Ireland's next prime minister. Jerry Adams heads a leading political party called Sinn Féin, but he was also a central figure in the Civil War. Now, just as the truce was beginning to look bulletproof, the Boston College project threatens both Adams and the peace he helped create.
5: Do you think you will see a united Ireland? God spares me if I live long enough, yes.
4: About Jerry Adams, this much is agreed. In the 1960s, he was a young revolutionary bound closely to the Irish Republican Army, the IRA, a Catholic militia at war with the Protestant majority in Northern Ireland. The next part is what his enemies find so hard
5: to believe. Some say that you were a leader in the IRA. My position has been very, very clear for a very very long time. I don't associate myself from the IRA. Uh, I, I think the IRA was a legitimate response to what was happening here. I want to make sure I understood you clearly. You don't associate yourself, or don't disassociate yourself. No, I don't disassociate myself from the IRA, and I never will. But I was not a member of the IRA. Did you ever pull a trigger? No. Set a bomb? No. Order a death? No. So you were at the top of republicanism. Nearly throughout the troubles, and your hands are clean. Well, it depends. This, this evocative term, your hands are clean. No blood on your hands, is what we mean. Well, we all have a responsibility.
4: All of us. Answers like that, dodging into fog, infuriate United his enemies and raise suspicions Trump in others. Trump Adams always said that he led the IRA's uh, political uh, party, Trump Sinn Fein. A diplomat, he says, not a general. The blood of the Troubles flowed mainly in the streets of Belfast. In the 1960s, Catholics long discriminated against rebelled against British rule. Northern Ireland had remained part of Britain after Irish independence in 1920. About 3,500 were killed, 50,000 were maimed. In 1998, the U.S. brokered the truce. Adams made the Catholic IRA drop its weapons and submit to a still divided Ireland. But the language of that peace contract is as ambiguous as a Jerry Adams interview. It papers over unsolved crimes, including an infamous murder in which Adams himself is a suspect. The ghost of Jean McConville has been restless since 1972, when the widow and mother of 10 was accused of being an informer for the British and was dragged from her apartment by several ira soldiers this is her daughter helen at the time with some of her brothers and
7: sisters helen i believe you're looking after the family how are you managing to cope okay when do you think you'll see your mommy again
4: is that today helen helen mckendry is a grandmother who can't fully explain the disappearance you and your siblings went to different orphanages we did yeah we were split up and the family was really never reunited
6: no we were never and I, I always said that the night they took my mother out should just came in and took the whole family because that's what they did they destroyed the whole family
4: now helen mckendry is the leading symbol of the good friday agreement's painful compromise justice for some families was sacrificed to make peace for everyone A code of silence around unsolved atrocities kept that peace, and it worked for most, until Boston College pried open the past. In 2001, the university did what the Good Friday Agreement tried to avoid. In a secret effort called the Belfast Project, researchers for Boston College recorded the details of the troubles in oral histories with 40 aging fighters from both sides. I thought it was a great
10: idea. Here was an opportunity to leave a testimony of what happened, personal testimony of what my involvement in the IRA armed struggle.
4: That used to be a police station. Ricky O'Raw was among those willing to break the code of silence because, like all the rest, he was told the tapes would remain sealed until he was dead. O'Rah was in the Catholic IRA, and shortly after he married, he was arrested for robbing a bank to fund the cause. He was among the IRA inmates at Long Kesh Prison, including Jerry Adams and Adams' close friend, Brendan Hughes. O'Rah ran a hunger strike that led to the deaths of 10 IRA prisoners. For me, that was the darkest period of my life. How many hours of interviews did you do for the Boston College project?
10: I would say perhaps about twenty. Twenty hours? Yeah. And what did you expect to happen to those tapes? I expected never to hear from them again. I had absolutely no uh, inclination or no indication that they would ever emerge in my lifetime.
4: But emerge they did after the first interview subject died in 2008. It was Brendan Hughes, Adam's friend, And a notorious bomber. There's a woman that went missing. His tapes were made public and included one last bomb. This woman was taken away and executed by the IRA. Gene McConville. Gene McConville.
10: There's only one man that gave the order for that woman to be executed. That man
4: is now the head of Sinn Fein. The head of Sinn Fein, Jerry Adams. Hughes and Adams had had a falling out over the peace agreement. In 2011, Northern Ireland police subpoenaed the Boston College tapes, and it became known around Belfast that some, still living, had talked.
10: Graffiti appeared all over Belfast, saying Boston College touts. A tout is an informer. It's an informer, and it's a very emotive term in Ireland.
4: Ricky O'Raw and his wife Bernadette drove us past the threats, calling out the Boston touts.
10: It's not about
4: their death sentence. amount to a death sentence? Absolutely, yeah. When you saw Boston's tout, you thought they meant you? They knew they meant me. Why would the O'Raw's run scared 17 years after the shooting stopped? Because despite the Good Friday truce, Belfast is a city torn by ancient hatreds. These days, in the neighborhoods of Belfast, the absence of violence is not exactly peace. The city has really never been more segregated. This is a Protestant neighborhood here, and just across the street is a Catholic community. And have a look at what separates them. They call these peace walls. There are 48 of them. And since the Good Friday Agreement, the walls have been made taller. There are other kinds of walls in Belfast that aren't nearly so visible. The schools, for example. Today, 90% of the children here go to a school that is either all Catholic or all Protestant. Some peace walls run for miles. Many have gates that are sealed at night. On the Catholic side, memorials to the fallen are tended like grudges, and memories of martyrs never fade. Over the wall, Protestant neighborhoods are colored by loyalty to Britain. Once a year, in a celebration of a 325-year-old victory over Catholics, Protestants raise enormous towers topped with the likenesses of their enemies, the flag of the Irish Republic, Catholic politicians, and a symbolic Jerry Adams. All to be consumed by bitterness that lights Belfast, like a city at war.
3: People grew up with uh, all of this mistrust and maybe hatred towards other communities. You know what side of the road you stand on, waiting on a bus? Well, we know that's a Catholic, we know that's a Protestant.
4: I've heard that there's a Catholic cab company and a Protestant cab company.
3: Absolutely. There's parts of the town that uh, Catholics don't go into, and there's Protestant people just don't come into the Catholic areas. It's the most saddest place.
4: That sadness and anger rose again last year when, based on the Boston College tapes, Adams was taken in for questioning in the Gene McConville case. Catholics wanted to see him free. Protestants
5: wanted to see him hang. Was your arrest a dangerous moment for the peace? I think so. To be quite honest, I was sick, sore, and tired of a tsunami of stories based upon these tapes uh, linking me to Mrs. McConville's death. So I contacted the police and said, look, you want to talk to me? I'm here to talk. He was held for four days with the Boston College tapes played back to him.
4: They asked you if you were part of the decision
5: to kill Gene McConville. They said that I was a senior member of the IRA at managerial level, so I'm bound to have known. And you told them what? I told them I didn't. The disappearance of...
4: Gene McConville was a surprise to you? I didn't know. It was known to the IRA? Yes, absolutely. And you're saying you didn't know? Yes. How do you orphan
5: 10 children? What kind of depravity is that? That's what happens in war, Scott. That's not to minimize it. That's what American soldiers do, British soldiers do, Irish Republican soldiers do. You know, That's what happens in every single conflict he told us in an interview that he wasn't even aware
4: that she had disappeared for a long time
6: he likes to let people know that but he's telling lies he's a liar I told him this face he's a liar
11: he knows
4: 30 years after she vanished Jean McConville was discovered on this beach a hiker found her bones with a bullet hole in the back of her skull for you, after all these years, what would justice be in your mother's case?
6: I would like to see Jerry Elms stand up and a that he played a part. I want the people to see what this man really is. He likes to think he's God. He's not. This man has blood in his hands, and I want him to pay for
8: what he did.
4: After days of questioning last year, Adams was released without charges. The police say their investigation continues, and they're pursuing all of the Boston College tapes. The university is offering to return the recordings to the participants, and Ricky O'Raw took them up on it. What did you do with the tapes? I burnt them. You burned them? Yeah.
10: I lit a big fire. I had a bottle of burgundy when I toasted them.
4: Memories smolders 17 years after that Good Friday, an exception to the famous Irish warning about forgetting the past. Maybe in Belfast, those who remember history are doomed to repeat it. Do you
5: apologize for all the pain and suffering and injury that was caused? Of course, for for those uh, civilians, for those people who. Uh, were caught up in this who were victims of the IRA. Of course I uh, apologize so that. I'm a Republican leader. I, I, I accept my responsibilities on all of those matters. I don't apologize for the IRA, for its existence, for its right to engage as it did, but surely you wouldn't be uh, a thinking person if you didn't regret all that happened here.
8: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
6: Over 200 times a second, half a billion times a month, somebody clicks on Wikipedia. It's the greatest argument settler wrought by man, or at least the fastest, perfectly suited to our era of instant gratification. When it debuted 14 years ago, the online encyclopedia was a novelty. Its accuracy hit or miss. Now it's one of the world's busiest websites. Its reliability vastly improved, but not quite perfect. What's more, it's a charity, a nonprofit, where a devoted army of unpaid authors collaborate. Articles about everything you can imagine. Who are they, and how does it all work? Ask Mr. Wikipedia himself, Jimmy Wales.
7: In general, I would say uh, we're a lot of geeks, uh, a lot of tech geeks, uh, a lot of people who are really passionate about information. What on
6: earth is wiki?
7: Wiki. So the word is uh, from wikiwiki, uh, wiki, which is a Hawaiian word. Uh, if you if you go to Maui uh, at the airport, you take the wikiwiki wiki bus, and the word wikiwiki wiki means quick. So the idea of wiki software is quick collaboration. It's a tool to allow people to come together and quickly edit things.
6: And once a year, a band of hardcore contributors to Wikipedia come together from the four corners of the earth for what you might call the dance of the geeks, meeting this time in London. The entertainment is, shall we say, eclectic.
11: And be the moon.
6: And so is the crowd. They call it Wikimania. 2,000 showed up for the event. Some are buttoned down, some are rock and roll. The articles they write and edit cover everything from aardvarks to ZZ Top. And they're all true believers in Wikipedia's power. But it is the fantastic attempt to really be the the Hitchhiker's Guide
1: to the Galaxy of, of the real world.
6: Wikipedians take to these pages in a never ending worldwide cyber conversation to write articles, add or subtract from the work of others, post comments, and argue about what's worthy of notice and what needs fixing. There are 12,000 new pages created every day, a grand total of 35 million articles in 288 different languages.
11: The end result of that is really rich, really complex, and mostly reliable and credible. So you get one of those
6: things. So sure like, Gardner spent seven years as Jimmy Wales' lieutenant, running the website day to day and sizing up the people who
11: do the writing. It's about 100,000 people around the world, every political persuasion, every religion, no religion, you know, from seven years old to 75 years old. The one characteristic all Wikipedians have in common is that they're all incredibly smart. They are really, really smart. Smart and passionate. Yeah, and persnickety, right? They're fussy people. They're sort of a little OCD. (laughs) They're careful, and they're cautious, and they're serious, and, and it matters to them that things are right. They're persnickety people.
6: And how does it work? We enlisted the help of Amanda Lewandowski, a recent law school graduate who's worked on dozens of articles.
8: I do the editing because I love it, um, particularly with regards to articles about the law.
6: Well, what is the reward?
8: You have the satisfaction of feeling like you participated in something, but for Wikipedia in particular, there's another whole benefit because you have the opportunity to help other people find information about stuff you're into. Now, one of the other neat things you can do is...
6: Anybody can do it.
8: We'll go to edit.
6: You hit the edit button and you type. But your information has to have a legitimate source and some degree of notability. No love letters to yourself. Three times a second, 12,000 times an hour, someone somewhere makes an edit, small or large. And the articles keep piling up. There is no limit in a certain way, correct?
8: Oh, I think that the growth could be infinite, yeah.
6: Billions upon billions of areas.
8: Possibly, yeah.
6: There are Wikipedians in residence at places like the National Archives, a goldmine of historical detail. At the Frick Museum in New York, these Wikipedians get their kicks from studying antique clocks.
7: Do you know roughly what is it? What is it about? It's about a
6: Hindu goddess. It's truly an international movement. There were Egyptian Wikipedians at this year's gathering, a delegation of school kids from Kazakhstan in Central Asia, where the website has over 200,000 articles in the Kazakh language.
7: You're the real bright spot in your region. You know, all of your neighboring countries
6: uh, maybe are not so good. And in South Africa, this man is Mr. Wikipedia, Dumi Dubani. Just remember that voltage drops... Back home in Johannesburg, when he's not at his real job, As an electrical engineer, and Ndibani and his colleagues work overtime to get South Africa into the Wikipedia world.
11: It was built in 1905.
6: They contribute entries about notable landmarks, this Catholic school originally a convent. Do we have the history on the school? Yes. Then that becomes a section. He's written about the house in Johannesburg where Mahatma Gandhi once lived.
11: The idea of tolerance really, and passive resistance was born here, in this house.
6: He's written about the Soweto uprising by high school students in 1976, the spark for the eventual downfall of apartheid. And he encourages today's students to translate Wikipedia articles into their native languages. What languages? Zulu. And we need all those, all those languages on Wikipedia. We need them. The website's headquarters are in San Francisco. There's a staff of about 200 working in typically laid-back, techie style.
2: And then you could do function
6: of prime importance, Thanks developing rules and computer code to eliminate as many errors important as important possible. Executive Director, Lila Tretikov.
8: We've had numerous studies that showed that as a body of knowledge, it's more accurate than other encyclopedias in existence in the past. So it's not, it's never 100%, but it's, uh, it's very high quality.
6: There are computer programs that scour the site for evangelism, and vulgarities, striking them out almost instantly. Wikipedians worldwide also act as fact-checkers looking for personal attacks and manipulation by PR people. But Wells admits you can't catch them all. Our biggest problems with
7: bias um, and things that are wrong that stay for a long time are actually on very obscure topics. Um, You know, a topic that not many people are interested in and not many people are looking at. And so if something's wrong,
6: it can persist for quite some time. That's brilliant. And because it's a nonprofit, unlike virtually every other major website, there's one thing you won't find at Wikipedia Central. Internet zillionaires. You created one of the most successful websites in the world, and yet you chose to make it the least profitable.
7: (laughs) (laughs) It just felt right that we should be a charity, free knowledge for everyone. So that's always
6: been our philosophy. The money to pay the staff and keep the site up and running comes from donations, large and mostly small. Last year, people from around the world gave $51 million in 70 different currencies.
11: I think they give to Wikipedia out of affection. I think it's that simple.
6: Which means the main preoccupation at other websites, advertising, isn't even on the radar. If we were
7: ad-supported, we would always be thinking about, well, gee, look at all these people reading about Elizabethan poetry. There's nothing to sell them. Let's try to get them to read about hotels in Las Vegas or something like this. And And we don't. We just don't care.
6: In a sense, it was probably in the stars that Jimmy Wales, the kid from Huntsville, Alabama, would become the Internet's most famous knowledge broker. His mother taught school, and the World Book Encyclopedia in the living room was a constant presence. He was a first-generation geek, 10 years old, when personal computers hit the market in the mid-'70s. His first Internet site was Bomas, a place where guys could compare notes on guy things— cars, sports, and babes. Bomas failed, but it got Wells thinking about the possibilities of mass collaboration on the internet, which led eventually to Wikipedia.
8: How does Wikipedia sort of fundamentally work?
6: And- file Wikipedians today are still mainly men, reflecting the tech world Many people- at large.
11: Women are less likely to kind of geek out at their computer for 10, 20, 40 hours. I mean, there's a reason that that, the stereotype of the hacker is a guy in a filthy T-shirt eating Doritos, right? Like, that's hard. A woman is less likely to get social permission to be in a dirty T-shirt eating Doritos.
6: The gender imbalance was at the heart of a significant internal dispute at Wikipedia.
7: When William and Kate got married, the royal wedding, someone created an entry about Kate Middleton's dress, and somebody nominated it for deletion. And some of the arguments were, you know, effectively... This is stupid. It's just a dress. How can you have an encyclopedia entry about a dress?
6: Wales intervened, pointing out that there are thousands of articles about computers and software programs.
7: And we don't think anything about that because we're a bunch of computer geeks. So we decided to keep it. But there was an interesting moment in that debate where people were saying, oh, I don't know about this, therefore it's not important. And that is bias, and that is something that we have to be really careful about.
6: Careful. When he's not on the road, Wales lives mainly in London. His wife, Kate, worked for former British Prime Minister Tony Blair. And Wales himself is already an elder statesman in the Internet world. It's our time at the limits of the social media to... Moving in influential circles, making a comfortable living from speaking engagements. We are really, really powerful. But though he passed up billions by making Wikipedia a non-profit, he clearly doesn't suffer from that Silicon Valley condition known as Zuckerberg envy. Do you ever wonder or get wistful about, gosh, (laughs) (laughs) if I only had a billion, uh, think of all the good things I could do?
7: No, not really. I mean, how many bankers are there in the world who earn fabulous salaries but whose lives are incredibly boring compared to mine? I mean, I, I have a fantastic, amazing life where, you know, my work feels meaningful to me in a way that almost nothing else could. So, yeah... It's great. Don't worry about me. (laughs) Happy birthday
6: to you. A final burning question Wikipedians have debated over the years. What day is Jimmy Wales' birthday? I have this really funny situation
7: where um, the reliable source of my birth certificate is wrong.
6: It says August 8th, but his mother says that's an error. He was born August 7th. I trust my mother, (laughs) she was there. So his Wikipedia entry says the seventh, but just to be safe, his persnickety followers say happy birthday twice.
4: For more on Wikipedia and to see Easter Sunday stories from Andy Rooney, Harry Reisner, and Morley Safer, go to 60MinutesOvertime.com, sponsored by Pfizer.
8: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
4: We were flooded with mail this week about the story we called Killing Cancer. A clinical trial at Duke University is using a modified form of the polio virus to treat glioblastoma brain tumors with remarkable results. Many writers told us their families had been touched by this nearly always fatal cancer. My husband died of glioblastoma in 2005. The news about the polio treatment left me in tears. Too late for my Howard, but a real miracle. To the families of those who passed away in the course of these clinical trials, all of America joins in to say, thank you. And then there was this. So interesting that a disease my parents so feared for their children is now helping cure a different disease. I'm Scott Pelley. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. Tomorrow, be sure to watch CBS This Morning and the CBS Evening News.
0: If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Are you a fan of 60 Minutes? You can represent the most watched series on television with shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and more at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code MINUTES20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 60 Minutes products with code MINUTES20 at ParamountShop.com